Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, we are joined by Brandon Lazar, who sold his service business, A-plus gutter and window cleaning, without an earnout. But before we get to today's episode, as you're going to hear during today's conversation between John and Brandon, as a seasonal business owner, Brandon had to quickly go from three full-time employees in the off-season to over 40 during the summer. And he did this through standard operating procedures. And if you want to learn how to implement standard operating procedures within your company, I have linked to a wonderful resource over in the show notes section, which can be found at builttosell.com. Quick reminder that if you're not subscribed to this podcast, to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you want to help support Built to Sell Radio, you can do so by leaving a rating and review. Ratings and reviews truly help our show get in front of more people and owners just like you. Okay, so now let me tell you a little bit more about Brandon, who, as I mentioned, sold his service business in 2023 without an earnout. Now, as you're listening to today's episode, there's a few things I want you to look out for. One is how to effectively navigate negotiations with both sophisticated buyers and inexperienced ones. How to establish firm timelines during negotiation for a smoother and quicker acquisition process. How to secure financing when conventional lenders are not an option. And how to leverage a technique to help you sell your business without an earnout. Here to share with you the story of how he sold A plus gutter and window cleaning in 2023 is Brandon Lazar. Enjoy. Brandon Lazar, welcome to Build to Sell Radio. Thanks for having me. So A plus gutter window cleaning. I'm a customer of a window cleaning company in Toronto, so I think I get the business model, but I want you to explain it in your own words. What made you guys a unique window cleaning company? Yeah, so obviously, you know, exterior home cleaning, it's been around since pretty much the dawn of time, right? But I think what really separated us is we more saw ourselves as a customer service company as well as a technology company that just happened to clean stuff on the outside of people's homes. In what way were you guys a technology company? Like, what did you leverage? Because I, I know um, Nick Huber, we had him on the show, a guy from Sweaty Startup. And, and, I, and I love his comment. He said something like, you know, if you want to build a great business, look for a, an, an entrepreneur or look for an industry that still uses a fax machine. And that's where you want to compete. So explain how you took, I think, a fairly old school business uh, model, uh, certainly a, a kind of, if you allow the use the overused expression, blue collar, and, and made it a technology business. Explain like specifically what did you do? You know, we have heavily leveraged pretty much anything that you can find on a computer uh, from Google Maps to top-notch CRMs. Um, routing software uh, so that we could have tight route density and service our customers the most efficient way possible, uh, all the way to like MailChimp and re-engaging our customer list and, you know, just providing a very convenient solution. Because at the end of the day, that's what we were selling. We were selling a convenient solution. And ultimately, our customers were happy to trade their hard-earned dollars for the convenience of getting this thing done around their home. 
all the technology stuff that you leverage, I love the routing technology and the CRM, all the stuff uh, has a great output and it's expensive and time consuming to integrate. How did you finance this business? Was, all, was this all out of cash flow or did you have partners or what was the model? We were bootstrapped the entire way. And I think it was through just really good financial literacy uh, as well as just like steady progression and growth that allowed us to stay bootstrapped the entire way. So as you're building this business, are you starting to have any sense of what you think it might be worth uh, like on a multiple of EBITDA? Like you, are you or multiple of revenue or <laughs> some other valuation metric? Are you starting to like think about what it might be worth? You know what? I think in the moment... As I was going through, I was just so focused on growing the business, right? And just so like everything else was kind of in the peripheral and it never even crossed my mind. I knew that like generally speaking, service businesses don't have the greatest multiples as as an industry compared to something maybe like SaaS. But honestly, my headspace just wasn't even in the valuation because I was fully invested in just running through growing, scaling uh, the business on the day-to-day level. Interesting. So how big did you get it before uh, you started to have kind of conversations about selling it? Yeah. So in our last year, we got up to 15 work vans on the road spread across the three different locations. And we did just shy of $1.5 million in revenue. Awesome. And so you've got a a seven-figure business, You've been at it for 35, or sorry, 15 years. And so I was thinking you're around 35 at the time. Was So I understand that that you were approached at some point along the way. Maybe walk through that approach. How did it come about? What was your reaction? Yeah. So the initial approach was basically just someone in my network. And at first, it just started as kind of like playful talk and like, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to buy your business or whatever. And I think it was something to do with the hiring issues at the time where it was just like, it was really grinding me down. Right. And it was, it was a lot of stress trying to crew up for that coming year. And I kind of just doubled back on him and I said, Hey, like, are you, are you serious? Like, cause I'm, I'm, I don't know when, but you know, I, I'd like to start talking about it if you're, if you're actually. Is this, is this guy, somebody who buys businesses for a, like a living, like he's got multiple companies that he's bought up over the years. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And he's in my network. So we're, we're, we know each other for sure. Okay. And so what was your reaction when he dropped that bomb? That he was interested for, for, for real. It was like, okay, like this is almost you know, too good to be true, right? Because I've always heard of people and they struggle when the time finally is right to, to find the right person or to, you know, just go through the whole process and here this person is like literally knocking on my door. So it, it definitely piqued my interest. Wow. Okay. So where does it go from there? Yeah. So I basically did just do a little bit of reflecting and I said, okay, if I'm going to keep the business for another two years, this is kind of what I'm looking for. If it's one year, I want a little bit of a premium on that basis, Right. What's sorry, fill in the blanks and what you're you're using your hands. So this is what I'm looking for in terms of the amount of money. In terms of the price point, exactly. Yeah. And what multiple of, of EBITDA were you sort of like, would that have made you happy, so to speak, at that point? Yeah. So I think if if I reflect back, I think if I was around a four, three or four EBITDA, 
I'd be pretty happy given the industry. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And so you, you kind of did this soul searching in your own mind. You identified, you know, somewhere between three and four, you'd be happy. <laughs> then what happens? Do you share that number with the person, uh, you know, approaching you? Yeah. And I, I think basically I just did up a really rough term sheet and met with them and just let them know kind of where I'm, where I'm at, where, where I'd be happy to, to throw in the towel and just transition over. And uh, at that point, he came back pretty quickly saying, yeah, that sounds good. Let's, let's start the, the process, which at that point I knew there was going to be process. I didn't know it was going to be that much process. What process was he referring to? Uh, basically the purchase agreement, the drafting of the purchase agreement, uh, going through with the accountant, um, getting everything prepped for financing, all those sorts of things. You know, there's a the negotiation theory. I'm sure you've read some of the stuff where if you throw out a number and there isn't like a big reaction from the other side, you, some people think, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I lowballed it. Maybe I should have asked for more. Did you have that reaction when he just kind of said, yeah, okay, this sounds good. Like, did you feel like, oh, maybe I could have gotten more or asked for more? You, you always question that, but who are we? We're just humans living life, going through time, right? And ultimately, that one proved to be unsuccessful as we can get into. Like, it, it fell apart. So, in yeah, hindsight, I want to know how it fell apart. So, so, he says, hey, let's do the due diligence or let's get the paperwork done. So, what happens next? Yeah, so things start to progress. And this was like in March of last year, February even. Like, it was, it was early on. And so we go to the lawyers, they draft, they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth again. Um, all of a sudden it's May, it's June. And like, we're, we're not really that much further to signing, let alone getting any sort of like tangible deposit, right? And skin in the game, right? Um, and then at that point, we had to get a, um, a next level of financials done uh, to prepare for his financing requirements. Um, so there again, you're starting to question like, Kane, I'm, I'm not only time invested, not only legal expense invested, um, but now we're talking like additional accounting requirements, right? And uh, eventually we got into August and, you know, that was like four or five, six months after the, the initial talk had begun. So he wanted audited, audited financial statements? Yes, that, that's correct. That, that was a requirement. Okay. And did you, did you provide audited financial statements? Did you pay for them? We, we didn't end up going through at that point because it's, it's not only a, a large expense, but it also takes a lot of time, right? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, so you did not give him that? Not at that point, no. And I think what was awkward is, you know, we were in this really weird dichotomy, right? Where a sophisticated buyer might tend to go to like higher level, um, more evolved industries, um, different types of opportunities are available. Um, but also, you know, at our price point, we need somebody that could qualify for a good amount of financing. Um, so there's kind of this push-pull relationship between, you know, who we need, who's willing to buy a window cleaning business and who can qualify for the price point that we're looking for is that's a pretty narrow scope down the middle, right? Right. So let me see if I, if, so the way you were sort of analyzing the situation is like a more sophisticated buyer is going to want, uh, you know, perhaps a more quote sophisticated business. Yet if we're too 
rudimentary and, and like try to find a buyer that's too basic and too simplistic in their thinking, they're never going to be able to afford or get financing for the multiple. So you're kind of trying to thread the needle 100%. and find someone who's sophisticated enough to pay a premium, but also not so sophisticated that they're going to want to buy the next fancy business that would, would command a much higher premium. Correct. Yes. Interesting. That is a really, really interesting needle to thread. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, would have had similar thoughts to you. And as you're, as you're sort of, as the months are dragging on with this acquirer and the requests are coming in, I need financials, I need an audit. What conclusions are you drawing about threading that needle? Well, all we're doing is talking here, right? There's no outside of the time spent uh, and a little bit in terms of their, their lawyer going back and forth with ours, there's not really an investment of, of capital at this point, right? And I, How is it affecting your business? This It's, it's really tough. Like it, it was so difficult for me because in one camp, I got my headspace into this potential acquisition. In the other camp, I got to be fully on board and like managing and running the day-to-day and making sure that we're we're doing all the things, all the, all the stuff. Right. So uh, much less, you, you know, you gotta be, you gotta keep this stuff in confidence, even among your staff, because, you know, it's, it's all hypothetical until anything actually gets signed. Right. So you're sort of doing two jobs at this point. And, and so how did it come to a head? Like what was the, the straw that sort of broke things open that made the deal fall apart? Maybe tell that story. Yeah. Ultimately, we are approaching the point where there was a deposit that was made to their lawyer, but it was kept in trust. Right. And we were approaching that subject removal that would then basically release that amount of money, regardless of what the outcome was of the deal. Right. Uh, and that was kind of my my line. Whereas, like, if we can just get across that, then I feel like maybe that's enough to just create the momentum. And, you know, that would ultimately push the deal through. So we're, we're coming up and closer and closer. And then they ask for an extension. And it's like, oh, that's just, that's not what you were hoping for in that moment, right? But it still sounded promising, which again, reflecting back on it, it's like, I wish they would have just given it to me straight, you know, versus kind of further dangling it in front of me. And so what happens next? So they ask for an extension, you granted it? I did, yes. Yeah, and again, and then, you kind of get in that headspace where it's like, well, we're already this far. I don't yeah. have anybody else teed up at the moment. So what is my opportunity yeah. cost, right? To just continue to yeah. see this thing through and see if it grows legs, right? What happens next? They wanted a phone call. And it kind of, it, it just felt weird right from the get-go, right? You're like, we don't need to talk about anything. So why do you want to have a call? Right. It was a zoom call. And uh, ultimately it was just brought up that, you know what? Um, The world is a little bit of a crazy place. I don't feel comfortable anymore. And therefore we're going to respectfully uh, rescind our, our offer here at this point. Well, again, I think a lot of our listeners would have had a similar experience and, 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 and maybe, uh, you know, a frustratingly similar experience. As you reflect back on that acquisition attempt or that sort of negotiation, if you could roll back the clock and do it all over again, what what might you do differently in the way you approach that deal? If I were to do it all over again, 
I would just insist on some tighter timeframes and ultimately push to get to the point where even just a small minuscule portion of the overall purchase price just be released from trust, right? I think that would yeah. that would be different. Driving some hard deadlines. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense for sure. And getting some skin in the game. And so what was the what did you feel like after that Zoom call? So the Zoom call ends, you leave the call. Just describe the emotional state you were in when you ended that Zoom call. I was defeated, honestly, like because you're you're so wrapped around this idea and it's it's such a large idea, right? Like, like literally this projects on your life. Like imagine there were a teacher and you're like Hey, you're approaching retirement next year. Like, that's pretty exciting. Like, what does life look like and feel like next year? Right. And then you come back to them and say, okay, so like, have you booked any trips? Are you, you got anything exciting planned? And then all of a sudden, one day you're like, nope, not happening. And we don't even have like a new revised date to give you. It is just not happening. Right. Like, oh man, it, it takes the wind out of your sails at that point. So it took, it definitely took you for, uh, uh, it, Okay. It didn't. And what was awkward in addition to that is, again, like I, I had to lead kind of two lives at that point. Right. I still had to put on the brave face. I couldn't take any time off or, you know, even share the experience with anyone outside of my family. And I just had to just take it on the chin and, and continue on as as normal as if the whole thing never existed. Yeah. And then you got to somehow like create the energy to recruit 30 kids to come join you yeah. for the spring. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. Okay, so the deal blows up. You lick your wounds and move on. What happened next? Yeah, so then someone else in my network, again, it's it's really odd that, you know, in both scenarios, it was people I already knew. Uh, they invited me out to lunch and they said, hey, um, I heard through the grapevine that things kind of fell, fell to the wayside. Um, I want to show my interest here. How did that happen? kind of get out because a lot of, I mean, a lot of these deals are, are very, most, most buyers and sellers try to keep it very confidential. Mm -hmm. did, did you have a confidentiality agreement with the no, potential? No, we didn't. Um, I'm from okay. a small town too. So, you know, um, it's, yeah, it, it was just one of those things. They, they were just aware of it. They didn't know exactly the details, but they just, I guess, more had a sense that there could be an opportunity there. Got it. And so what was your reaction to that? <laughs> yes, please. Um, I was really like, okay, like we're back in this. And for the foreseeable future, we got to pick up where we left off and we got to do everything we can based on the reality of where we find ourselves. Right. So, so it was three weeks yeah. you, between the, the end of the Zoom call and the lunch with the new buyer who said, hey, I heard things didn't work out. Got it. So tell me more about the new buyer experience. So I heard things didn't work out. You're like, yes, please. What happens next? Like at some point, the specter of valuation must have come up. Who, who, who brought that up first? And I, so at this point, it was September of, of last year. And I think at that point, we had a great year going. We had good momentum. Like everything was going really well. So my valuation to get revamped at that point, just because we're kind of focused on a new set of fiscal financials at that point, right? Um, so I did ask for an increase from where we had previously been at, uh, in terms of the price. So again, you, you're putting the price on the table yeah. first. You're saying, here's what I want for the business. Correct. Yeah. And what was, uh, his reaction to 
that number. It was it was fine. We were good to go. And um, are you still on that sort of three to four times EBITDA range? Yeah, we were on the the four end at this point here. Got it. Yeah, got it. Okay, so you're looking for four times EBITDA. You say, hey, this is what we need. His reaction is, yeah, okay, let's 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 get something papered here. What happens next? So right from the get-go, you could tell that this this new um, purchaser was just way more on top of it. Uh, the time horizons just didn't tend to stretch along as much. And there was just a lot more intentionality. It was just, it felt more serious, right? So in the span of what took us, you know, previously seven months, you know, in, in the course of the next two months, everything was like said and done, ready to go. And we ultimately got to the point where we were signing and, uh, and we were ready to to approach the execution date. Got it. Did you put in place a deadline for him? Having learned from the first experience, did you have some hard deadlines to say, hey, look, these are non-negotiable deadlines? 100%. Yeah. And it was both based on me feeling like I had been kind of drugged through the trenches at that point. But also, I think just my newfound learning of just like, this is how you have to conduct yourself in order to to get to anywhere, especially when you're going to be relying on a multitude of different professionals to make this thing go through on both ends, you know, the days turn into weeks really quickly, right? And was was there a deposit placed and did it did it go from escrow to your account? Like maybe walk us through that piece. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, basically there was a, a purchase agreement signed for a full amount and then a, a section was kept with our lawyer in trust. And basically, once those subjects were removed, similar to if you're buying or selling a home, um, then that deposit is then released from trust and uh, it's available to you. It's committed to uh, crediting the purchase amount. Got it. And so, as I understand it, the deal was four times EBITDA. Mm -hmm. Uh, was there an earnout component of that, or some sort of equity rollover? Was it 100% cash at closing? What, what was that like? Yeah, so I mean, I credit this podcast honestly uh, in terms of the earnout and how I uh, tried to format that. Is I wanted to avoid it as much as possible because we know, you know, if there's an earnout component, you got to be very careful in terms of what your expectations are on that that section of the the tranche of funds, right? Um, so fortunately, I was able to negotiate no earnout clause whatsoever. I just how did you do that? Um, it was just where I started, and I I held relatively firm on it because again, I I didn't want to risk it. I wanted to know what was coming was guaranteed, and we didn't have to, you know, worry about the the likelihood of of something falling through. But how did you convince a buyer to do that again? I can understand and maybe a technology business or a manufacturing business that you know you get your head around avoiding an earnout but in a service business it's almost always the case that there's some form of earnout how did you convince like what did you like they've obvi they obviously sounded like they asked for one how did you rebut that like what did you say to give them confidence that they didn't need to put an earnout in place yeah so so they this all stemmed from the way i initially started the conversation like when they showed their interest this uh, like i came up with my term sheet and it just was not a part of that term sheet right so we we basically scooted around it right from the get go so you put you put on your sort of ask like 100% cash at closing. And just so I'm clear, did they ask for an earnout or was there a conversation about it or was it just never raised by the other side? It was it was never formally bought, brought up. And I think where I showed just a really good act of good faith is I was flexible in the, the vendor financed amount, 
So tell me more about that. Basically, uh, they had to apply for financing, and I just made it pretty clear that, like, you know, on my end, I'm happy to do a vendor take back finance agreement um, for whatever proportion is required to a to a certain degree. Obviously, um, what proportion were you comfortable with? Um, so anywhere between ten and twenty percent. I think is fine. Of a vendor take back. Yeah. Okay. So it, like, let's just understand this structure. So the buyer was using debt to buy your business. They were going to a bank Correct. to get it financed. Yes. Got it. So in the case of most vendor take backs, I'm assuming it's the case here that the bank would have been first in line in the event that there was a, a problem after the, the new owners bought the business, that the bank would have been paid back first. Correct. Uh, and then you would have sat behind the bank in terms of your... Uh, rights to any proceeds after uh, the bank was paid off. So you were willing to take up to 20% of your proceeds and, and, and effectively get that in time, knowing that if the business failed, the bank would have to be paid back first. That's helpful. In terms of the interest rate, what was the interest rate that you had on your vendor take back? Yeah. I mean, everything is just so up in the air in terms of inflation and interest rates. So what I did is I just said prime plus 1% and it can just float as the Bank of Canada fluctuates. Got it. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. So it, it you know, you, you've got a bit of safeguard. One, one other tactic I deployed too is instead of like once we got down that VTB route is instead of being all one chunk of, of cash that fluctuates the same way, I actually uh, solidified into two separate portions. Um, so one on an on a 18 month term and then one on a five year term. And I think there again, like any degree of latitude that you can can gather for yourself so that it's all not. What's the difference between the 18 month one and the five year one? Just in terms of expectation of payback period. I see. So, so, okay. So you took the 20% that you rolled in this vendor take back and, and a portion of it, you, you finance over 18 months. Correct. So the payment would be larger yeah. in that case. And then a portion of it, you said, I'm going to spread this out over five yeah. years. So the, the monthly was much lower in, the, in that Correct. case. That's super helpful. And did you ever get a sense of what the motivation of the buyer was? I mean, was it their lifelong dream to own a window cleaning business <laughs> service or something? Like, what, 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 what did they get out of this? What, why would they, why would, why do they want to buy this business? Yeah, I, I think at the core of it, it was a very healthy and well-run business. Like it was, and it had a good uh, presence in the community. Obviously, we have a bunch of our trucks zooming around all over town. So there is a good high level of exposure in that respect. I think also too, just the timing really helped us, right? Like, what do you do if you have an amount of money to invest somewhere, right? Like the stock market can be a little bit shaky, especially reflecting back on this last year. Um, you know, as interest rates are at a nominal amount, but inflation's high, like, I don't know if that looks super luring. Um, and I think sometimes small business looks to be quite a good option in terms of investment uh, uh, potential. Yeah, there's people listening to that though going, yeah, but you bailed out. Like you could have brought in a owner, manager, whatever, uh, and kept 100% of the business and just basically, you know, creamed off the top of what was the profitability of the business forever. 
uh, but you gave up the rights for four years of profit. So take me through your thinking there. Do you ever think about that equation and say, well, I could still own it mm-hmm. and just sort of have someone manage it and take all the profits? Does that ever kind of cross your mind? Not, not once. I, I was so happy at that point, you know, 15 years in, I was so excited to, to be able to get into other things that that I, I had a newfound love for and engagement for and excitement over, right? Like it, uh, it, it never once crossed my mind. I think also too, like the level of, of exposure and risk uh, really does shift as you go through your entrepreneurial journey, right? What's it feel like to see one of your trucks drive around town? I, I just feel really good. I, I, I wish them nothing but the best. I want it to be sustainable. I want it to continue to grow. Um, and it just, it just feels good to see. Do you ever, you know, get noticed around town and say, Hey, you're, you're the guy who owns the gutter window clean bit. Like, do you ever get acknowledgement and recognition like I'm, that? Still? I'm still on the tail end of being the contact in a bunch of people's phones and, you know, builders will text me or like past clients and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I just get to hand them off and it's just not something that I have to do anything about anymore. I've heard some entrepreneurs also feel a sense of, uh, what's the word, trepidation and handing off some of those relationships because essentially they feel like it's their own personal reputation that's at stake when the new buyer administers the service that they were once known for. What Does that relate to you? Like, do you relate to that at all? That sense of like, man, like, I want these guys to do a good job because my name, it's my, you know, it's, it's, it's my legacy. You hear the word legacy thrown around. Like, does any of that sort of resonate at all? Or are you I, like, I'm I think for me, I've always been a business person doing a window cleaning business versus a window cleaner doing business. So at that point, then it's really easy to just kind of distance yourselves, wish them all the best. But at the same time, that's, that's not who I am. That's not my identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. You up for a quick lightning round before I let you Yeah, go? let's do it. Okay, cool. So we talked about the, the, uh, the sort of dirty trick of the first acquire, at least uh, dragging it out for as long as he did. What was the emotional low point for you in the process of selling it? Was it the hanging up on that Zoom call or was there another trough in your emotional sort of tenor? Mm-hmm. As the, uh, yeah, I think if you were to plot it on a diagram... As soon as we hit the red button on that Zoom call, it was just the ultimate of lows. Yeah. And then what about the opposite? What was the what was the high point for you? The high point was the day the deal went through. And uh, it was just so cool. I had a bottle of champagne and I headed into the office. And, um, you know, we just we just celebrated with the team. And, um, you know, it was something then that, that I could talk about freely. And, um, you know, everyone was was very excited the energy level was high and um it just you feel like you're on top of the world at that point what was their reaction to the news that you told i think they were embracing of the opportunity that would that would come with with the new format right because as i step away you know that gives room at the top for everybody else to step up and take on additional tasks and responsibilities so i think it was you know they they were maybe a, a tad unsure about the nature of what we were heading into, but I think generally the underlying feeling was it was excitement and, and looking forward to it. You've already been generous uh, about 
mentioning the podcast, so I appreciate that. But what other resources did you turn to to educate yourself about the process of selling a company? Were there other courses, books, any, anything else that you can point our listeners to that would be helpful for them? I don't have any specific other resources outside of Built to Sell Radio. Well, we'll be your sole source of uh, hopefully good insight going forward. Tell me about yourself a trophy beyond the bottle of champagne. How, describe the trophy you bought to commemorate this win. Yeah, so redid the garage. We have like a commercial grade gym in there now, uh, which is pretty awesome. Bright LED lights, nice like commercial grade equipment. And then we put a theater room downstairs. So I have a two-year-old oh, and a awesome. three-year-old and they just love watching Paw Patrol on the big screen. <laughs> Paw Patrol in the basement. I love yeah. it. Well, congratulations. I think that's great. And, uh, you know, we learn a lot from, from sometimes more than from the successes from the failures. So it's great that you were able to pick yourself up from the first, you know, uh, first acquisition attempt and, and get through the deal successfully. So congratulations. Um, I know people are going to want to reach out. Where, where is the best place for them to learn about you? Is there a website or a, what's it, describe sort of where people can find more about you. Yeah. So basically I kind of split my time now between family and then this new company I have called Ninja VA. Uh, it's ninjaVA.co. And basically that's a virtual assistant recruiting service. And honestly, that's, that's one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had in the last year or two, I would say. Um, so I'm focused heavily on that. And then I also do uh, some business coaching through a group called uh, Conquer. NinjaVA.co. Yeah, correct. Awesome. And uh, we will put that in the show notes at Built to Sell along with your LinkedIn profile so folks uh, can find you there. Uh, This was fun, Brandon. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. And there you have it for today's episode between Brandon and John. If you enjoyed today's episode, then as always, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you love today's episode, then share this out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would be truly impacted by today's show. A quick reminder, you can actually watch the full episode of this podcast over at our YouTube channel, which is at Built to Sell Radio. I personally find that watching the podcast adds a little different dimension. So if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, head over to YouTube and type in at Built to Sell Radio. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, including that resource to help you implement SOPs within your company, head over to our show notes page, which can be found at builttosell.com. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling today's audio engineering. And thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisors are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan. And I look forward to talking to you again next week.